0: we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, starting at verse one. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we open your word. We ask for you to guide, lead, and show us what you would want us to see. And thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Luke chapter 20. Did I say 21? 22. 22. 22 okay. 22 verse one. It's kind of interesting. We're hitting This verse set of verses on the day that we're scheduled to do communion. So it's perfect because this is the full view of communion (laughs) that we don't usually do on communion Sunday. Uh, We unfortunately, we won't be in Luke when we get to the resurrection. So I'll have to leave Luke to go for the resurrection. And then we'll have Luke again. We'll have the resurrection again about two or three weeks after that. (laughs) So Luke 22, verse one. Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him and they feared the people for they feared the people then entered Satan into the Judas surnamed Iscariot be, being of the number of the twelve and he went his way and communed with the h- chief priests and the captains how he might betray him unto them and they were glad of the and covenanted to give him money and he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he, he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover that we may eat. And they said, Where will you that we will prepare? And he said, And behold, when you enter the, into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house and where that he enters into. And you shall say unto him, The master says unto you, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished there, furnished there, make ready. And they went and found, as he said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come that he he sat down and the twelve apostles with him, and he said unto them with with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until the day be before until it is be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given unto you. This do you in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Behold, the hand of him that betrays me is with me on the table. And truly the son of man. And truly the son of man goes as it w- as determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began inquiring amongst themselves, which of them it was that should do this thing. So we're going to be looking at this section of the Passover in a much more depth than we normally do during Passover. Um. First of it says the the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. So we actually have three feasts that happened during that period of time that Jesus died. We have Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and first fruits. And then 50 days later, you had the Feast of Pentecost. So there are four spring Jewish feasts. And right now, Jesus is coming up on Passover he was going to be the Passover lamb and just going back into Exodus remember Passover was started on the 10th plague of Egypt they had to go in and and Pharaoh had told Moses that you will never see my face again because the day you see my face you shall die and Moses said you are correct you not will not see my face but you are going to you are going to experience the deaths and all that stuff and his, Pharaoh's o- oldest son died during that period of time. But the Jews were to go out, they were to pick out a lamb in their flock, the perfect lamb in the flock. They were to bring it into their house for four days to examine it, make sure it was perfect, and literally brought it into their house. If it was not taken in the field, it was brought in. It became a pet for four days. And then they killed it. And they would cut its throat, drain it, skin it. And the thing about the Passover lamb that it was to be the covering for their protection. Alright, so this lamb was brought in. They did not break a bone in the body, the body of that lamb. And they roasted it on fire. And remember, they took the blood and they put the blood on the, the two-side post and the top and the bottom, which, if you think about it, it makes a cross. So they were protected by the blood of Jesus on the cross from the death angel, even in those days. And it was a memorial for the Jews to be able to cel- celebrate Passover on the... 14th day of Nisan, which is rough. You know, we go, why why do we celebrate it? I love it. Again, this year we're going to be right about Passover when it's time to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I love it when the two match up. And they don't always match up because we have a solar calendar that we follow, and the Jews follow a lunar calendar. So their months kind of go back and forth. And, you know, if you don't know it, the Jews have a an entire leap month that they apply. And they apply a leap month every five to 14, uh, every five to 12 years, depending on where the, where the cycles are. So they, they add an entire month when it starts getting out of sync. We have our leap year one extra day every four years. And the Jews balance their calendar out with a whole extra month. Uh, the first month is repeated on, the, on their, uh, when they have a leap, leap year uh, situation. So Jesus is getting ready. He's He knows that this is his last days. As, and this is something that's important. Jesus came to this world to die on the cross. Now, I don't know if he knew that from the earliest point of his life or through more study. I don't know when it was finally revealed to him that this is the Passover you're going to die on. But he knew that he was going to die on Passover. And he comes in and he and then the, we have this little caveat, the chief priests and leaders wanted to kill Jesus. Luke tells us that they had put out a reward for his head. All right, they put out a reward. You know, he he was on the probably the number one most wanted list, whatever, whatever they did. You know, they had something similar. It's always been there. <laughs> you know, number one, you know, we want this man, you know, hundred dollar reward, thousand dollar reward. I don't know what reward they put on him, but they want to go, We want him. You know, and it says interesting Satan entered into Judas Iscariot's heart. Why Judas did this? We don't know. We do know that one of the Gospels tells us that he was the treasurer of the of the, uh, for the disciples. He held the money bag and they also said that he was a thief. You know, he was trusted with the money bag, but he was stealing them stealing from their money bag and and buying whatever he wanted. So he already had the wrong attitude. But, you know, he was one of the 12 disciples. And Jesus even said one time, he goes, I chose you all and one of you is a devil. You know, and we hear it all the time when people go, well, I won't go to church. The church is filled with hypocrites. Well, unfortunately, that's true. The churches are filled with hypocrites. You know, most of us have a hypocrite at some time in our own lives. <laughs> Say one thing and do another. Now that that is not an excuse not to come to church because why are we coming to church is not for the people in the church but to worship God as a corporate body to be taught to be to lift up. I mean if we're coming for other people we're coming for the wrong reason and that takes us back to the first song we sang not by device or creed we're not coming here you know to network with people and, and develop you know one of the things that has driven me nuts over the years is people selling things in churches they get part of some you know marketing plan and immediately they go to church and try to sell everybody at church what they're what they're doing. You know I could never do those marketing plans because the only people I knew were in church and I refused to sell in church. You know so it was one of those things that was very hard and but Satan entered in and Judas was willing to and it says he covenanted with them for money to betray him. Now, it's becoming very popular in today's world to show this idea that Judas was trying to betray him to get his get him out into the public so that he could, you know, give his word, you know, give his message to more and trying to help him get his message out. The word here for portray that John uses is to deliver him for execution. This betrayal leaves no room for where they're trying to soften the position of Judas. Judas was tired of not seeing the kingdom of God being developed. And he says, well, I've been following the wrong man, so I'm just going to get rid of him because, you know, I'm going to portray him. I'm giving him over to death and judgment. So he knew what he was doing. There's no room for the current viewpoint that says, oh, Judas was just trying to hurry up the kingdom. There's no, no room for that in that. And I'm trying to bring that out because I've seen several Jesus movies that showed. So try to turn Judas into this Good guy. <laughs> you know, I was trying to do something good. But no, that's not where this word in, in the Greek brings out. It brings out a very heavy. He took him. you know, And it says he communed with them. He talked with them. He spent time talking to these leaders, finding out exactly what they wanted, what exactly what they wanted to do. And he was to turn Jesus in on the day that he was not around a crowd. Because that was their hard part. Every time they went to get rid, go get him there was a crowd and just like politicians today you do not want to make people mad at you and do not want witnesses to what you do wrong and they're going we can't take him when there's all these witnesses we can't we're not going to have a riot break out and have to harm the citizens when we arrest this man that we don't want around round us anymore and so they have all of this going on and and so this was that little subplot and then it says on the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be Passover must be killed or the lamb must be killed. So the day before Passover started, they would kill the lamb <coughs> during the daylight hours. Now, remember, for the Jewish calendar, their day starts when the sun goes down. So during the day before Passover, you killed the lamb, usually around 12 o'clock, so you could get it cooking and everything. And at suns- sunsets, 637, whatever it might be, Passover starts and Jesus is going to have the Passover feast with his disciples. Now, I'm going to explain a little bit about the Passover, Passover. We talked about it. again. it starts with the lamb. That's the most important par- part of the, of the Passover feast. They would roast that lamb. The entire lamb had to be eaten in that meal. No leftovers. So usually, if you had small families, you gathered more than one family together because that entire lamb had to be eaten. If it didn't get eaten, you burnt the rest of it. It had to be totally consumed. It was a picture of Jesus having to be to- totally consumed for the sin debt of the world. So the lamb had to be totally taken care of that, that one meal. They would also have unleavened bread, bread with, without yeast. Yeast represents sin. So they would have unleavened bread, matzo crackers usually, uh, and the lamb. And then they had a whole bunch of other things which we're not going to get into. One day I want to try to get some, somebody out here to do a Seder for us and show us how it represents Jesus. But they, they have this big ritual that every piece of their ritual represents Jesus. They would have the bitter herbs showing their their heavy, their, their sorrow and their and all. They would have you know, several sweet things to the sweetness of God's deliverance and several games that they would do that they would do uh, with the kids and everything on this. But they would also have several glasses of juice. Now, when we practice this, we just have one at the end. But when we read this, it said that he started with the first cup. And I believe there were five or seven cups of juice involved in the and I think it was seven because seven sticks out. There's the number of perfection and the number of God. So I think there was seven cups. But they started out with the first one. He says, divide this one amongst yourselves because this is, you know, this is what we're doing. But before we get there, he sends the disciples in, Peter and John, he says, go into Jerusalem and prepare for the Passover. And of course, their first question is, well, we don't have a house to prepare in. What are we going to do? Did you notice when I read this that Jesus gave them very specific instructions? Go into town and you will see a man carrying a water pitcher. Follow him. Now we're going, well, how many men would they see carrying a water pitcher? Very few. Carrying the water pitcher was not the job the men did. That was the woman's job in Israel. So I can almost picture them saying, okay, Jesus, you expect us to find a man carrying a pitcher of water. And sure enough, that's exactly what they found. I don't know if he didn't have a, didn't have a wife or he was helping his wife. Who knows why a man is carrying it? But you know, we, we think of it, well, in our day and age, well, there've probably been hundreds of men carrying water pitchers. No, it would have been a very rare event to see a man carrying a water pitcher <laughs> in that day. And they follow him to his home. And, you know, this is very presumptuous. Jesus tells them, ask him where the guest room is because the master needs the room to set up Passover in. Can you imagine somebody is following you home? That would be strange enough in the first place. And saying, we want to know where your guest room is because the master wants to have Passover there. Now, hopefully he was, was one of the <laughs> believers in the process. But just picture this. You, you, this is kind of a strange request. Picture yourself being in Peter and John's place. We're following this stranger into his house and asking for a room room to have Passover in. Why? Because Jesus told us to. How would you have liked that assignment? Yeah. Now, Jesus has told the disciples oftentimes to do things that are strange. By this time, they're probably used to it. You know, well, uh, Jesus, we have this this kid here. He has. Uh, Two little fish and five five little rolls of uh, food, but you know we can't feed five thousand people with that. You just have them sit down, start passing it out. <laughs> you know, over and over again, we see Jesus doing things that people think are totally crazy to show the power of God. How many times has God asked you to do something that sounds a little crazy? I've had it happen in my life. I can't say I've responded to every one of them. <laughs> But, you know, when I do, it's like, wow, this is kind of a, wow, this is, this is exactly, you know, we're working, working it. You know, and I want to bring this out because we just read over that. Okay, they followed this guy to his house and they said, you know, send us to the room. <laughs> but put yourself in that place. You don't know this guy. You don't even know him necessarily. And, you don't, you know, and he doesn't know you and you're going to give him Jesus' message. And he gets shown a room and they prepare for the Passover. Now I don't know if they buy the stuff and actually make it themselves, or they find somebody to gi- to get it, or one of the women that followed Jesus went went also with them. Who knows? I don't don't know all that details because it doesn't tell us who prepared it. says they prepared for the Passover. That would mean they got the lamb, they got it started roasting, they would have gotten the bitter herbs, the the unleavened bread, all the stuff, the the juice that they needed, um, all of that stuff that they they needed, and got it ready. And when the hour was come, it says Jesus came to that upper room and all 12 disciples were there. And Jesus said, I desire with desire. I desire to eat this Passover you before I suffer. This is something that I found very interesting. Jesus wanted this last meal with his disciples before he went to the cross. He wanted the comfort of his friends with him. And do we realize how often we have that same process where we just want the comfort of somebody who's a friend? We don't even need them to say anything or do anything. We just want them there because we are hurting. Jesus had this process. He knew he was going to suffer. What was that suffering? He knew he was going to the cross. Before the cross, he knew he was going to be beat. He was going to take the full wrath of God for sin upon himself. This is what we're, we read in the epistles that Jesus is our propitiation. And that's a big word that we don't use anymore. But that means he took all of God's anger for sin upon himself. All. There was no room left for it. He took all the punishment for all the trillions or quad people who've lived in all of time. All of time, he took all of their sins upon himself and the punishment they all deserved were put upon him. That's a lot of punishment. He took it physically, emotionally, and spiritually that he took the sins of the world upon himself. And he says, I just want to have this last Passover dinner with you, my friends, before this happens. Jesus was human in that aspect he wanted the the companionship of his friends around him I think he also wanted to show them that he loved them enough to be able to give them that forewarning he goes I'm going to suffer now Jesus all through this period of this especially this last year had been telling the people I'm going to suffer I'm going to die and I'm going to resurrect now most of the time they did not hear it they did not understand it they did not believe it And this is the problem that we all have many times when we're reading the scriptures, we're looking at the scriptures and we're going, I don't understand. I don't know that I believe. Well, I learned many, many years ago, wherever I don't agree with what the scriptures are, there's only one one thing wrong, me. If I don't agree with what I'm reading, I'm wrong. Whether it's my understanding of it or my hard heartedness, it's me who's at fault. And it's very important for us to grab hold of that because there'll be lots of people going, well, I don't understand and it can't possibly be right, so we're just going to ignore it. Well, you can ignore it if you want, but that's your danger. All scripture is given by inspiration as profitable for doctrine, for, for correction and righteousness and instruction and doctrine. All. Not just the parts we like. And there are churches out there where the pastors don't teach through the whole Bible. And, you know, it's kind of funny. You'll, you'll see what they like because that's all they ever talk about and it might be the love of God the the kindness of God the grace of God and those are all very important things but there are times when we need to preach the hard things of God and look at the hard things that aren't aren't uh, all that fun to read sometimes you know where God says do this or else and there's lots of those verses you know, the children of Israel were obey my rules and you get to live in the promised land, disobey and you'll be taken out of the promised land. And sure enough, they got taken out of the promised land. And then God put them back in. But, you know, there's all these things where we look at this and they when we look at the attributes of God. Yes, he is love. He is mercy. He is he is uh, gracious. But he is also holy and just and righteous. And he cannot throw away his holy justice and righteousness for grace. Sin always had to have a penalty. Disobedience always has to be uh, chastised. And Jesus is with the disciples. and He says, I greatly desire this before I suffer. And at this point, they're probably kind of confused. You know, well, yeah, they, they all want to kill you. You know, they're wanting to kill you. Or, and here you are in Jerusalem in the first place. It really brings it out in in, in luke that we're studying on on uh wednesdays but you know he says they wanted to kill you and i love it in one step in luke it said thomas said oh we're going to jerusalem okay we'll all go with you so that we can all die together that's what they expected when they went to jerusalem now john didn't bring that out but luke says they went expecting to die those jews are trying to kill you i guess okay uh, I guess we're you've given up we 're not going to see the kingdom we're going go to go we're going to go and we 're gonna die. They never expected what happened. How often do we do things for God and we don't and we do it out of faith and trust, not expecting anything and then we get to see how God uses it. I love it when we do that. I go in dragging my feet because I just don't see how it's going to be any good or how it's going to work, and then all of a sudden see how God makes it work and it's like wow, I am so glad <laughs> that I did what God said to do. Now, the hard part of that is when you don't do what God says, you have no idea what would have happened. You, know, you have no idea the blessings that you have missed out when you didn't obey God. And when I have disobeyed God, I have no idea what those blessings might have been. What could have been different if I had done something differently? God will show us. You know, and, and when we reach the he says, I desire. He wanted the comfort of them. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take in this and divide it amongst yourselves. He goes, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. Now, when was the kingdom of God coming? At the millennial kingdom will be the kingdom of God coming down. Partially fulfilled when Pentecost so happened because the Holy Spirit came in and the kingdom of God started to be revealed. But that's not the kingdom of God. We as Christians are not ushering in the kingdom of God by our good works and our, and our ministry. And there are churches that teach that the church will bring in the kingdom of God by getting everybody saved. I don't know where they get that, but that's what they teach. The kingdom of God will not be established until Jesus comes and reigns on this world, which will be at the end of the tribulation period. Uh, when he steps down from heaven and steps on Mount Mount Olivet and the mountain splits and a new valley is formed on both sides and the Dead Sea starts rolling backwards and becomes alive again. And the new rivers are formed that everything that were told about in the Old Testament. So all those things will happen and that will be when the kingdom of God will come. So he started out with the first cup and then he took bread and gave, broke it and gave thanks and said, this is my body, which is given to you. This do in remembrance of me. He took one of those lots of crackers and he broke it and distributed it amongst the 12 disciples and said, this is my body. Now, it wasn't literally his body. There's a whole school of argument within the churches that say that when you take communion, the actual bread and the actual juice that you take really become the, the actual body of Christ and the and the blood of Jesus. The Christians were throughout many generations were called cannibals because of that belief system that this miraculously becomes, you know, the the actual uh, body and blood of Jesus. We as Baptists do not believe that. We believe they are symbols <laughs> of it. Not uh, notably for the trans trans transmortation is the wrong word. The changing of it into it is uh, Catholics believe this. The Lutherans used to believe it. I don't know if they still do. Episcopalians all believe that the blood and body were actual when it gets into your body. And this has been a big problem over it. And I've always wondered how they could believe that, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, But he says, this is my body. Jesus, when he went to his pilot, was flogged. And we've talked about this every time I do communion because I want us to understand the cost of our salvation was heavy. He was beat with the Roman flagellum laid bare. Before that, the the Jewish guards put a bag over his face and started head and started beating him and saying, "You know, you're a prophet, tell us who's hitting you, prophesy and tell us who's hitting you." They beat him. They you know, physically abused him during this period of time. They beat him with the flagellum. He says, this is my body. Remember this. And then he says he took the cup after supper. So there's another, the last one of the cups that he was passing out and said, this is the blood of the New Testament that is shed for you. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins, we're told. Over and over again, The sins had to be paid for. And Jesus said, I am this sacrifice. Every point of the sacrifices was a picture of Jesus. This Passover lamb that was going to be the salvation of the people was a picture of Jesus. And Jesus is bringing this out to them. This bread you're eating, this bread without sin, this is me. This wine that you're taking, this blood that is shed is my blood. For the New Testament and the covering of this. And then he said something that we don't usually talk to him. And he said in verse 21, But behold, the hand of him that betrays me is with me on this table. And truly the Son of Man goes and it, as it was as it was determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Jesus with the 12 disciples is sitting there and saying, One of you sitting here is going to be the one that betrays me. And he also goes, as it was determined, he goes, yes, it was determined that I would go to the cross. Yes, it was determined that I would be delivered to this. He goes, but woe to the one who does it. People will go, well, if God knows the future, then the person who can't be really held accountable because God knew what would happen. But he says right here, it was planned for me to go to the cross. But Jesus said, woe to the person who does it. There is an accountability for everything we do, even though God knows that it's going to happen. You know, and this is something that is very important. And and we look at what the disciples did. You know, it says, and they began to inquire amongst themselves which one of them it should do this thing. I find this very interesting. The 12 of them have been walking together for four years basically become friends. And they're all looking and going, which of us would do such a thing? Now, none of them looked to Judas to begin with. He was trusted enough to be having the money bag. He was, he was trusted amongst them. Nobody nobody could go, well, it's him. Uh, Judas, Judas is, the, is the one who's going to do it. Nobody immediately pointed to Judas, which tells us how much he was trusted. But every one of them had this idea that could I be doing something that evil? Could I want to do it? Could it be anyone in this room? And they started talking amongst themselves. Who is it that would do such a terrible thing to sell the master out? You know, and we kind of over gloss that all the time, but this was a just thing going on between them. I don't think I would do it. Are, are you thinking about it? Are you thinking about it? Well, who, who in this table is thinking about doing this? It was a debate amongst themselves at that point. Which one of us 12 are evil enough to get rid of, of, of the master? You know, trying to figure out who's ever said, you know, the finger might have been pointed at, G- at Peter because he had foot and mouth disease because he kept saying all the wrong things all the time. They're going, Peter, are you the one? He says that he says the Satan's trying to sift you. No, nope, not me. I would never do something like that. But think about what they would have been like. You're in a group. everybody's loving Jesus as far as you know. And Jesus says, one of you is going to be the one that turns me over. Betrays me to be executed. But woe to that person. Judas is sitting there. This is a chance for Judas to repent. Jesus says, woe to the person who's going to betray me. And Jesus is already been in making plans to get rich on turning Jesus in or get money. He has a chance to repent. Do you realize how many times in the scriptures God gave people a chance to repent before destruction? Cain, you know, uh, where's your brother? How should I know? You know, you know am, I, am I in charge of keeping track of my brother? Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, Adam, uh, what did you do? Did you eat the fruit? Here's a chance to repent. What did Adam do? Uh, She did it. She gave it to me. And he actually blamed God at the same time. The woman that you gave me, she gave it to me. What was he saying? God, if you hadn't given her to me, I would have never done it anyway. So God, it's your fault because you gave her to me. Have you ever blamed God for something that you got and saying it's your fault? You blessed me so much that I couldn't help but go, go that direction. They're in debate during this period of time. What is going on? How is this going to happen? What are we going to do about all of this? And they are really concerned. They've been concerned for for months because Jesus keeps talking about dying. So we're going to be looking at doing communion today. So, Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we enter into the communion. Lord, we ask you to prepare our hearts before you for the communion that follows. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says, the penalty for sin is death. Romans six twenty three says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5 8 says, But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this?